Friends, our second lesson today is taken from the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lofty, and the <clears throat> hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him, each had six wings. With two they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The pivots of the, on the thresholds shook at the voices of those who called, and the house filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks well, anyone who works with a volunteer organization knows that you tend to have two uh, problems with people. Uh, first is people who really ought to step up and, and give of their talents, and, and they don't. And the second is people who do, who don't really have the gifts or the talents. <laughs> okay? So you often have those two problems. But really, the first is the bigger problem. It's people who, who don't step up. And one of the things um, that you often hear from folks is, uh, you know, I'm not the right person. I'm not really qualified. I, I shouldn't be doing this. You really should have called somebody else. You know, isn't there someone more qualified than me? And this is actually something that you hear in, in all of the stories of the prophets being called. Whenever the prophets get called, you know, Moses gets called and he says, you know, I'm, I'm slow of speech. I'm a, I'm a stutterer is what he's saying, and so he doesn't want to accept the call. And so it's really common for prophets uh, to protest their call. And Isaiah does the same thing here. I, Isaiah says, you know, I, I'm, I'm a man of unclean lips. And, and when he says this, by the way, you should understand that he's, he's in this awe-inspiring circumstance. And so he says, woe is me. I am lost. And in fact, there's a Many translations of that word for lost say ruined. I'm ruined. I, I'm, in, I'm in deep trouble here because I'm in, in the presence of God. And I have no business being in the presence of God. So he's saying, you know, I, I shouldn't be here. This shouldn't be what I'm doing. Isaiah is terrified. And when he says, you know, unclean lips, we had just seen a couple verses ago where the seraphim were saying, you know, holy, holy, holy. So the, the seraphim are, are, are lauding God. They're praising God. And he's like, I, I really should not be in this company. And, and he's feeling it because this is a terrifying scene. I mean, the way they describe it, they said that when those, when those seraphim are calling out, when they're saying holy, 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 when they're talking, it's not this melodic holy 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 like the opening hymn all right where, where you're singing it it says the pivots on the thresholds shook at the voices of those who called the house filled with smoke i mean this is this is really frightening when that happens you know, we hear words like the heavenly host, and uh, I'm, in fact, also in the opening hymn, it talked about seraphim and cherubim. 
And we just have those words kind of flow off our lips, and we don't really think about it very much. In fact, if you think of cherubs, what do you think of? You, you think of those cuddly, overweight babies, right? You know, the little Cupid image kind of thing. And, and that's really not, um, not what the image is. In fact, uh, in the Bible references cherubim a few times, but one example is at the end of the book of Genesis where, where the people have been kicked out of the Garden of Eden. It's at the end of the Garden of Eden story with Adam and Eve. They're kicked out. And, and it says God placed, you know, two cherubim as guards, you know, with the flaming swords, okay? And, and I'm sorry, but if I'm coming up and the guard is that chubby little baby, I'm not scared, all right? But the cherubim are, are frightening. In fact, the, in Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel describes cherubim, and, and one of the things he says about the way they look, he says each one has four faces, all right? Now, now you put a creature with four faces as a guard, and I'm not going, all right? I, I am staying well away. You know, this is a frightening scene. And so Isaiah is awed by, the, by being in the presence of God. He's awed by this circumstance. And too often we aren't awed by the enormity of what it means to be called by God into service. We need to be awed by the importance of the mission. See, two things happen when, when people are called into service, when they're feeling that call. One is that tendency to underestimate ourselves. And so there is that natural prophetic, yeah, I'm not really good enough. Who am I to be doing this? Why am I being called? And the other thing that happens is we underestimate the importance of the mission. We underestimate the importance of being involved in advancing the purposes of God in the world. You know, one of the hardest things every church has, we're not alone, uh, but one of the hardest things every church has is finding folks to do the most important thing we do, which is work with kids. You know, it, it's actually hard to get people to do that. And the first thing you hear is people saying, I, I'm not qualified. What do you mean you're not qualified? You're smarter than a third grader. Okay? The only thing that doesn't qualify you is if you don't like kids. If you don't like kids, we'd like you to stay away from our kids. Okay, because really we want our kids growing up with memories of people in church who liked them, all right, who cared about them. And so uh, if you don't like kids, your call lies somewhere else. But it's not a matter of knowledge. And then on top of that, there's this tendency in, you know, in so many church environments to act as if what's important is the adults, as opposed to, to saying what's important is the kids. You know, not that adults aren't important, but the kids are the future, right? The kids are, are the next generation, and, and the kids are the generation after that. And you have no idea how that's going to play out, right? I mean, you, you know, you, you can have a circumstance decades from now where, where a child's life is impacted by a decision that they make because that decision is informed by their faith, a faith that they would not have had had it not been for adults working with them years before, or it could create a, a different way of behaving and thinking in that family tree. And it could be generations from now, two, three generations from now, that you have a child, you know, who makes a decision that is informed by faith, that has an impact on their life or an impact on their loved ones or an impact on the world around them. And the actual genesis of that decision, if you trace it back, is somebody who worked 
with their father or their grandfather or their mother or their grandmother and, and brought them to faith. You know, I always tell the story of, about how my great-grandfather was converted by one of the first Presbyterian missionaries to Korea. Okay? That had an impact. And that person had no idea of understanding what it would do to my entire family tree, all right, um, all of whom are, are, you know, dedicated churchgoers. It, it matters, and, and you don't know. So we have to, to stop underestimating ourselves, and we need to stop underestimating the importance of the mission to which we're being called by God. At the same time, we also have to have the right attitude going into it. And, and the description of seraphs in this passage uh, tells us something about the attitude we need to have. I mean, it says that the seraphs were there. The seraphs are, are servants. They directly serve God. And it says that they have three pairs of wings. And with one pair, they cover their faces. And with one pair, they cover their feet. And with the third pair, they fly. All right? Now understand these are frightening. Okay, this is not an image of a cute, cuddly creature. This is a this is an awe-inspiring creature, but it still has these symbols that work like this. The covering of their faces is this symbol of humility, and, and it's absolutely with a sense of humility that we come to any service of God. You know, in fact, if you think you are qualified to serve God, then you might have an arrogance problem. All right, and, and you have to worry about that. Or if you only wait to answer God's call until you believe you are qualified, then maybe your vision of what you're capable of is too small. All right? But instead, you, you have the call of God come and you, and you accept it, you think about it with humility. So this one pair of wings covered their face. The, the covering of their, their feet which often is a euphemism for basically just everything down there, is, is modesty and reverence, okay? So they're, they're covering up out of reverence. This is the, the way that they come to God. So they come with humility and they come with reverence, but they still have that third pair with which they fly. They still have that third pair with which they actually do what it is that God needs them to do. And so you take this together, and it's such a wonderful summary of, of how we think about coming to the mission God has for us, which is to come with humility, to come with reverence, but to do, to actually do it. And God tells Isaiah through the seraphs that, that he is okay, that this issue of him having the unclean lips is fine, right? It, it says that the seraph comes with this burning coal and, and comes, touches his lips, and then when he does, it says, your guilt has departed. One of the things I realized this week as I was thinking about the message is that, you know, when, if, when God is calling you, if you think you're not qualified, then you're basically saying that you're questioning God's judgment. You know? If God is calling you and you don't think you should be called, then what you're basically saying is, God, I know me better than you know me. You apparently do not know how poorly qualified I am for this task. Okay? You know, it kind of like, can you imagine uh, interviewing for a job and they call you up and tell you you have the job and you say, Really? Really? 
boy, did you mess up. No. God called you. You're qualified. Okay? In fact, you're qualified by the call, and God makes this evident to Isaiah by, through the seraph coming with the coal. That, you, you know, in Presbyterian theology, when we think about liturgy and we think about these symbols and things, we don't tend to ascribe literal efficacy to the, to the symbol itself, but rather it is something that God gives us as a gift to remind us to seal the promises of God. Isaiah was already qualified when God called him. The coal didn't need to touch his lips in order for him to be qualified to serve God. That, that act of touching his lips with the coal was needed to convince Isaiah that he was qualified. He's the one who needed it. He needed it because he's the one who's saying, I'm not qualified, I've got unclean lips, and God is like, look, let me take care of that lip thing for you. So that you understand that you can be called. I mean, God has decided you're good enough. There's always a question of whether it's God. I mean, the question to ask when you're trying to discern whether or not God is calling you is whether it's actually God that you're hearing. You know? I mean, I think all of us, you know, so many people sit there and go, boy, you know, I, I hear God calling me to wealth and power. Probably not. It's easy to think that way. You know, there's a joke among pastors, by the way. I've told it many times. But there's, a, there's an old joke where uh, somebody said, you know, to, uh, to a friend of mine, he said, you know, you guys, you talk about when you switch churches, when you go to a new church or whatever. He said, you talk about following God's call to a new ministry. So, but why is it that God always seems to call you to a higher salary? Sometimes we might be hearing what we want God's call to be. And it's always a tough question and a valid question to ask ourselves, is that nudge that we think we're feeling actually God? Is it really God calling us to service? But if the answer is yes, then you're qualified. If the answer is yes, you're qualified because God is calling you. If you believe that God has better judgment than you, and God thinks you're qualified, you're qualified. If you believe that God has the power to equip and empower you in living out your purpose for God, then you have what it takes and you will have what you need in order to do what God needs you to do. And once that's settled... For you, as it was for Isaiah, the answer becomes, here am I, send me. Right? Once that once doubt is resolved, all you can do is say, yes, I'm ready to go. If you've been called, you can fulfill the call. If you've been called, the only thing left to do is say, Yes. But at the end of the day, you still have to say yes. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you don't say yes. You still have to say, I will go. You know, I've always wondered about what got left out of the Bible. 
you know, in terms of stories. You know, because obviously not everything is in there. Like I always wondered, for instance, was Noah really the only person who was warned that the flood was coming, or is, the, is he the only one who built a boat? I just wondered about that. You know? I always wondered, are, are the prophets we read about the only ones who were asked by God to take a message? Or are they just the only ones who did it? You know, I, I wonder if somewhere lost to the dustbin of history were messages from God to people who just blew it off and went on their way. Right? And this is true about so many things, right? I mean, you can read about all the great inventions. And I love hearing this. You ever have a friend do this? They see somebody come out with this fantastic product and they're making a gazillion dollars with it. And you have a friend, you're sitting around, he goes, you know, I thought of that. And you just want, want to turn to them. It's like, that doesn't make you smart. <laughs> you know, but you have that happen. You know, for instance, you know, 10 years ago, I was saying we should have something like that. Why, why didn't you do it? You should have just done it. So I wonder if the dustbin of history doesn't have a collection of people in it who heard the call of God and then just didn't do anything with it. You have to ultimately say yes. So think about the ways in which you might be feeling a nudge of God to do something. And I would never, by the way, never, ever, ever limit the call of God or God's service to being service within the institutional church. There are certainly ways within the institutional church that God calls people to serve, and certainly we need folks who answer, to answer the call within the institutional church. But I would never say that that's the only way God calls folks. No way, no how. Okay? You can be nudged to service in so many different ways. You can be nudged to service in the church, outside the church. I mean, because if we never get outside the church, if we never interact with people outside the church, we never bring people to an understanding of why we do what we do. So God's nudge in your life may come in many different forms. It may come in an area of your life that you really weren't expecting God to be in. It may lead you to an encounter with someone who you never really thought you would encounter as a part of your service to Christ. But whatever that nudge may be, and no matter how daunting it may seem, the only question is, is it God? And if it's God, then you're qualified. If it's God, you are good enough. If it's God, you will be equipped. If it's God, you'll have the resources. Because God knows better of what you're capable of than you do. Amen.